Hey, welcome to Creativity in Focus, a live podcast on Facebook and YouTube where we highlight artists and their art. And today, the business side of art. I have a very special guest. I'm Shahar Boyayan, your host. And before we start, I actually would like to ask you to share this podcast. I believe that even if you do, you make art just for yourself or to gift, you know people that can benefit of knowing the business side of it a little bit more. So take a second, share this with your folks, and then I will introduce my guest. I'm actually going to do exactly the same thing I'm going to share because it's really important to get the word out, not only about art, artists, their challenges, what they conquer, and some advice around that. So you want to be sure not only that you come every week to watch Creativity in Focus, but that you share as well. Well, my guest today is a very dear friend of mine, a huge supporter of Curious Mondo, business consultant Robert Imbriale. Welcome, Robert. Hey, well, thanks, Jahar. Great to be here. This is, this is going to be a Fun afternoon for us. We haven't. Uh, we've talked a lot about doing it, but we've actually never actually gotten to the point of doing it. And uh, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for having me on your great channel. And uh, I'm just so impressed by what you guys have been doing over there. Well, we only do this because you have helped us all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Robert, before we start actually talking about art and the business of art, tell us a little bit about yourself. I have been in the business world probably since the very beginning of my career, but I was a commercial photographer coming out of school, uh, which explains why I'm in a studio today. <laughs> it's like, uh, I love this stuff. I'm passionate about it. And, uh, you know, I've been working with Wellburn Gourd Farm for a long time, gosh, since 2000 now, helping them. So I've been very involved in the art community, uh, understand that marketplace very well. And it's really been a lot of fun to kind of combine what typically people separate. And they say, well, I'm either an artist or I'm a business person. And the real question is, well, how can you be both, right? And how do we bring the business model to a community that is really not into the business part of things? And typically you go to the art side to get away from business and get away from the stress, right? So it's really been interesting to combine all those things and also to combine and bring in the multimedia. We've been doing uh, webcasting now, believe it or not, since 2004. Mm -hmm. We were real leaders on on that really cutting edge uh, back then. Uh, webcasting wasn't as pretty as it is now. It was a little postage stamp size thing, <laughs> and the video would stutter and and such. But we made it work, and we've been doing it ever since. And and it really brings a lot of value. So, uh, congratulations to you for really jumping into the art community and and bringing this to uh, the artists they love. Uh, you know, to learn from you and your courses are amazing. And I get to watch once in a while. They pass by my Facebook stream. I'll jump on, have a look for a little bit. And you guys are doing some awesome work over there bringing, uh, like I said, art training to a lot of artists worldwide. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, it's, it has really been fun. If you think when we started playing in this arena, we were using, what, a flip camera and uploading <laughs> to whatever streaming company was doing that at the time. And it was really not that good. <laughs> So it's really fun to have this technology now that is affordable uh, to be able to use this. And I believe it's also an amazing tool for artists as well, right? Because anybody with a cell phone today can go live on Facebook. So are you a, an advocate of using social media to promote an art business? If you are an artist, what do you need? You need an audience, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's really hard to be an artist in your closet, uh, and a lot of them are, and that's okay because if you're just doing it for your personal, you know, enjoyment, and you have no uh, desire to sell it, make money from it, not turn it into a business, that's perfectly fine. But you know, the other side of it is art supplies cost money. You know, so it's nice sometimes to be able to make a few dollars from the art that you're creating. And really, it's not just about the money. I know a lot of artists are like, oh, I don't care about the money. I don't care about the money. I understand. Um, but, you know, there's a value for value kind of transit transaction that needs to take place. And you say, OK, I'm going to spend 100 hours on this on this piece of art. 
maybe you're not going to get paid $100 an hour for that. Maybe you're going to get paid only a few dollars an hour, but you're getting a lot of enjoyment out of it. If you're going to sell that to somebody else, they're also going to have years of enjoyment out of it because they're going to put it you know, somewhere special. Uh, it's going to be something that they really appreciate, and you know, they should pay you for it. And it's not a crime to ask for money. You know, a lot of a lot of artists are just really unsure about that. Oh, I don't know how much is worth. You know what? Give me ten dollars for it. And you see a lot of that kind of art being sold uh, on the internet these days. And uh, you know, you could do better. You could ask for a little bit more. And and we're going to talk a little bit of some strategies for getting a little bit more money for your art. But you asked me um, live streaming. Am I a fan? Absolutely, I'm a fan of it. Um, it is one of the the better ways. But it's not for everyone. And some artists are artists because they don't want to be in the public eye. So you really got to look at yourself and look at yourself in the mirror and go, gee, is this a format that's really good for me? Or am I better doing an Etsy store and just putting photos there? Mm -hmm. Am I better doing a blog and putting the photo of my art piece and telling the story about it? And then, you know, if you want to buy it, put a little purchase link. You know, for a lot of people, that's enough. You know, they don't need to go to the next stage. But if you want to teach, that's a different world, right? Because now you get other artists coming on board and saying, oh, I want to learn how you did X, how you made the little fuzzy bear, how you made the little frog, uh, you know, whatever brooch or whatever it is that you're making. They want to know. They want to learn. You'll find you'll, you, you can attract an audience, as Shahar has done very well uh, for her business. Robert, a lot of people, when they are thinking about selling their art or if they should be telling their art, they... they it's, is there a bad perception with the term selling? What do you think? Because what I see, especially on social media, is like selling is a four-letter word with more font, <laughs> with, with more letters. Uh, it looks like the people are extremely resistant to sell. In your experience, is that something true for, for them? Most of that marketplace. Mm -hmm. Most artists have that issue. And, uh, you know, I, I see it not only in the art community. I work, as you know, with chiropractors and natural health professionals. And you would think these guys wouldn't have a problem with selling, but everybody has a problem with it. And, and, and it's because of a misassociation with what we think selling is, right? We have this idea that if we're going to sell something, then we're like a used car salesman. Yeah. Right. We're begging for money and begging for money. And, and it really isn't that at all. I mean, you know, it is, like I said, it's a value for value transaction. If you understand it that way, you know, your time is valuable. The art supplies you use to do whatever that project is that you want to sell, there's value in that. And, you know, there's your talent. You should get paid for your talent as well. So if you recognize it or you recognize it that way and look at it that way and say you're not selling somebody. In other words, selling, a lot of people think, well, that means I'm forcing it on somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's what we get. That's what we get scared because we don't want to do that. We don't want that. We don't want to be sold. Right. We don't. We hate to be sold. We hate to get them in front of a pushy salesperson. But I'm not advocating that at all. But we love to buy, don't we? We go into the mall. How much? How many? How many times we pull out our credit card in a day on a trip to the mall? Right. We absolutely love to buy. So if somebody's willing to give you money for your art. The worst thing you can say is no, right? <laughs> so you just got to get in the habit of accepting that. And accepting that is the same thing as, as you know, a speaker would uh, accept applause, mm -hmm. right? Or somebody would say, wow, this, this art piece is really beautiful. It will really go great in my office. Can I give you $100 for it? What are you going to say to that? Well, if you can say yes to it, you haven't sold anything. You haven't sold anybody. They sold themselves. All you did was agree to the transaction. So, you know, you got you to have a different mindset on it and recognize that you're not going to be a pushy salesperson. You're not going to foist your art on somebody who doesn't want it. Uh, you're not going to run pop-up ads all over the place to annoy people. You're just going to, you know, build a nice website and, or, you know, put it up on Etsy or put whatever. And when people find it and they want it, let them sell themselves on it. Let them decide they want it and they'll pay for it. Now, gladly pay for it and they'll be happy to receive it. Yeah. I have a motto. If people want to give you money... Let them. <laughs> I <laughs> <Right>? love that <laughs> motto. <laughs> I want to touch a lot more on the mindset, but we have a comment here for Jacob Jennings. Good to know you're alive, Jake. We miss you. And he's saying, no way, a Skype call is much more than that, right? <laughs> if, more than a Skype call, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit more. And Laura Michelle uh, is saying, hola, amigo. I, I don't know if you're familiar with her. But she's giving kudos to what we are doing. Laura, so, Laura is Phoebe's sister, so she is part of the bird me? farm. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Laura. <laughs> Great to have you here. <laughs> so, by the way, with the farm, so Wellborn Gourd Farm, if you guys don't know this farm, you 
got to take a look. And of course, they are on Facebook as well. So how long uh, have you provide consulting and have you e been engaged with the farm? Since uh, September of 2000. Wow. So, so we're you know, roughly 17 years now. Yeah. And I know part of the, the what the farm does, of course, they have the gourds, but they produce a lot of videos and DVDs. So over the years, you have worked with artists over and over. What has been, from your point of view, their biggest challenge? Uh, as far as selling their art? Mm -hmm. Because they have a lot of different challenges, right? So <laughs> you have challenges in making the art, you have art challenges in selling the art. And uh, for a lot of them, it's really the, you know, our topic today really is about selling the art. And a lot of them are challenged by that. And uh, many, uh, I find it's really interesting because their art becomes a part of them. Mm -hmm. Right. And to separate that and put that out in front of in front of the world. And if somebody doesn't buy it, there's actually a feeling of rejection that goes along with it. Right. So somebody says, this is my heart and soul in, in this piece of gourd art. And, you know, you put it in front of people and, you know, 100 people walk by and look at it and nobody buys it. It's a rejection. Right. So it's detaching the personality from the work. In, in when it comes to selling it. And there are some artists that do this really well. There are some that uh, really they look at their, their profession, I guess it, you can call it, and they mass produce the art. Why? Just to sell it. So they're not emotionally attached to it, right? So you get emotionally attached to it as you're creating it. That's wonderful. And then when you sell it, then you have to somehow find a way to detach emotionally from it. That's one of the, the harder things that I see them struggling with. Mm -hmm. And then the other piece is obviously how do I price it? Yes. You know, That's what am I going to charge for this? Yeah. And you see in the, in the art community, it's really interesting. I was watching, there was a live feed uh, this morning. Somebody was selling jewelry and they were selling it for $5. Oh. I'm like, are you serious? There's more than $5 of materials in mm -hmm. that jewelry piece that you're trying to sell. Forget about the time. Forget about having to put it into an envelope and ship it when somebody buys it. You know what I mean? It's like, why? Why would you do that? Well, you know, what is it really worth? And, you know, you find this community because so many people are really down at the bottom with their pricing because it won't sell. If they, if they made it for $7, would it still sell? You and I know it would. But, you know, they may not believe it, it would. So we see a lot of artists, what they do is underprice themselves uh, by a long shot. You'll find artists who spend 100 hours on something asking for $50 for a piece of art. Mm -hmm. you know, it's yes. like, okay, that's $2 an hour, you know, <laughs> minus the expenses that you put into it in the products that you use to make that art piece. Mm -hmm. So pricing think, is an issue. Do you think part of that is the problem of not seeing themselves as artists? Because what I see here at Curious Mondo many times, the audience, they have a very hard time of owning the place that they are artists. They see themselves as somebody that creates something with their hands, which devalues everything, the way they see and the way they act. Do you agree with that? They don't see themselves as artists. Um, yeah, the, what, normally what happens is those are the people we call the closet artists, and, and we, it's a friendly term, not a derogatory term. Mm -hmm. And a closet artist is somebody who creates art and really says to themselves over and over again, well, I'm not good enough to sell this. Nobody would want it, right? Mm -hmm. So they end up with a closet full of artwork that doesn't go anywhere and can't be shared and can't be enjoyed by anybody else. They enjoy making it, but they look at themselves and they go, well, I'm just not good enough because I compare myself to everyone else out there. Now, you have to recognize in any industry, there's going to be a handful that are going to be exceptional and there's going to be the middle of the pack and then there are going to be people who really shouldn't be doing it, right? And most, the majority of people fall in that middle, that middle bracket there where the stuff is certainly good enough to be sold. Certainly somebody would enjoy it. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of getting over that, that fear, uh, you know, that you can put that out there and somebody would actually purchase it from you. And a lot of it is, is, you know, it goes back to self-esteem. You know, we talk about the mindset. Is the mindset playing a role here? Absolutely it plays a role because the art is an extension of you, right? And if you don't feel confident about yourself, it's going to be really difficult to bring that art out into the public in order to sell it. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Now, I know you, you guys used to do a lot of DVDs. Is this still a viable option for artists to make? Because we have to think... The person that loves what they create, 
they have embraced the fact that they are artists and they sell their pieces, but of course pieces, sometimes they take months to be done. So they, ne they need to find some other channels of revenue. So is DVD still one possibility? DVDs specifically or videos? Because there's, there's DVD is the method of, of uh, delivering that, prod, that, that video, that production, right? Mm -hmm. And if you ask, is a DVD still viable? My, my guess would be no. Uh, how many people have computers today that actually have DVD drives in them, right? And do you still have a DVD drive in, in your living room, right? No, not <laughs> even in my computer anymore. Right, it's not on the computer, and you know the truth of the matter is, where are you working on your art? Usually, not in the living room, right? <laughs> so, if you've got a DVD player in the living room, it's good. You can play the video there, but it's not where you need it. You need it there. So, what we've transitioned to is is an online uh, system now, where you purchase the video and you can watch it on any screen. Uh, if it's an iPad, an iPhone, Android phone, uh, it doesn't matter if it's a, a Roku device or an Apple TV, all the devices, and you'll get the proper video, the proper size, the proper format streamed to you. So you can watch it, you know, if you're in your, if you're in your workshop and you have to open up your laptop or you prop up your iPad, uh, you can pull the video up and watch it. A lot of people like to watch them and, and you know, just go to a certain point, start, stop, start, stop, right? Mm -hmm. They'll do the step and then, okay, what's the next step? And they'll watch and they'll, they'll do it. They'll stop the video again. This is why the format is so much better today, uh, so much more flexible than the, the discs were. Mm -hmm. So I'm sort of glad we're beyond that. We still have some in stock. We, we're gonna when we sell out, that will be the end of them. Uh, we're not we're not producing any more uh, physical discs anymore, but we are producing videos. Mm -hmm. I still get people asking, why don't you produce DVDs with the courses? And same reason, right? Because it is a media that is going to go away. So, well, Adobe uh, Adobe Premiere. Uh, they had a program, or Adobe, it's a Creative Cloud, had a program called Adobe Encore. Mm -hmm. And that was the program that would let us author the DVDs. In other words, put the menuing system in place and all that kind of stuff. And they stopped supporting it, gosh, it's almost like four years ago now. Wow. So four years ago, Adobe said, no more discs. Nobody wants anything on disc anymore. I think that was a little bit premature because we were still producing them. So we had to go use old versions of the software. But yeah, it's been gone for a while. I think in the community, we know that uh, you know, delivering stuff on, on disc is, is sort of yesterday's technology now. Mm -hmm. You know, Laura is saying that one of the challenges is believing in themselves. And that's exactly... Uh, what I think to do you have any strategies for us to as artists, you know Start be really believing in yourself because I understand where that comes from Sometimes you make pieces and you ask non-qualified uh, uh, Actually you ask opinions from non-qualified people like you know uh, uh, One of your kids or the neighbor and they say ah, it's okay And you start thinking what I create is mediocre, right? How, how can I really? start believing in myself as an artist it's a it's a psychology right so uh what we call this is a meta program and a meta program simply means i'm going way over the heads of, of people who are into the art business i know but i just want to give this to you and then we could we can sort of work backwards to it the meta program is is you're sorting by self or sorting by others right and most of us sort by others in other words we feel good about what we do if somebody else says we're good at what we do mm -hmm. Right? Isn't that the truth? Shahar, you're great. You're wonderful. You're outstanding. And then you wake up in the morning. Well, it must be okay. Rob said I was okay. Right? Mm -hmm. But the problem is I'm not always going to be there to say that. And nor is anybody else going to be there to be able to say that about your art on a regular basis. So if you need to feel good about what you're doing and you need other people's approval to do it, you're in trouble. So you got to start, it's got to start coming back to you. You've got to start to be, so sorting by self means that I don't need anybody else's approval. I am mm -hmm. happy at what I'm creating. It makes me happy to create it. And there are going to be people who are not going to love it. There are going to be people who are going to love it. And either way, it doesn't matter. All I'm going to focus on is those people who care about it and love it and, and appreciate it the way I do. Right. So it's, it's a hard thing to get to. It's not easy. It sounds easy. I've sort of made it sound very simple. Uh, but the more you could pull that in and stop looking for approval from other people, the, the easier it becomes to have a lot of great self-esteem and start building from within. And what about the comparison thing? Because I, I, I'm 
guilty of that as well. I became a lot better over the years. But I was always looking at people in my industry, for example, and looking at what they were doing, what they were accomplishing, how beautiful it was, what they were creating. So all that made me feel like, oh, I'm just this little girl here. <laughs> so what can we do to overcome that? Because today with social media, uh, some of us spend hours on, on Facebook, for example, and we scroll and we see everybody's life and how green the grass is on their side, and we think we are not accomplishing much. Right, if you look at it from that perspective, because the, the falsehood of social media is people only post when things are going well, mm -hmm. right? So I had 10 minutes today that were going well. That's what I'm posting on Facebook. But the rest of the day, you know, was, was really difficult, really challenging. I was in tears for half of it, you know what I mean? But I'm not talking about that. I'm not going to give you any of that. So it's the same thing in the artist community. It's like what you're going to see is the top of the top, the best of the best. So uh, I come from the photographic background. Obviously, that's where I got my start. And we would know that as a photographer, you would go in and you would photograph a wedding, right? <clears throat> and you would produce the, the wedding albums back then used to be 12 15, 18 pictures, that's it. That was a wedding album in the years that I was doing it, back when the film days, right? And you would say, well, that photographer shouldn't get paid that much. There aren't really that many photos, right? Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter is, we're going through rolls and rolls and rolls of film. 300, 400 photos during a wedding was not uncommon to get 12 to 15 finals. Yeah. 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 So what are you seeing? Are you seeing all the artwork that somebody did? Or are you seeing only the best of the best? Yeah. Recognize that that's what's going on, okay? So that's number one. Number two is if you're comparing yourself to other people, compare yourself to other people who are at least at your level. Don't compare yourself. I'm, I'm a you know, junior photographer, and I've got an iPhone, and I'm going to compare myself to somebody who's shooting with a Hasselblad. Mm -hmm. Where am I going to go with that? Where? Right? It's, it's, it's not even – you can't even begin to compare. So I would suggest ideally is don't compare. Compare yourself with what you did yesterday, and, and that's the best way to be. It's like, am I doing a little bit better today than I did yesterday, yes or no? And the answer is going to be, yes, I'm doing it better, or, or no, I'm not doing it better. And either way, uh, you know, you're just going to look to improve yourself. Stop looking over the fence. Stop looking at what other people are doing because, really, they have different skill sets than you do. They have different vision than you do, mm -hmm. and all of it's fine. Yeah, true. Tell me, you know, Again, by your experience working with artists, how do you see the perfect structure in order to build a business around the art? Well, it starts with the, you know, we always go back to the mindset. It starts with the mindset. And, and a lot of artists have to get over the fear of, of, you know, putting their stuff out there and, you know, perhaps being judged. Well, we just talked about people might look at it and go, ooh, that's ugly. Well, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That's not the proper beholder for that piece of art. That's okay. So you're going to get uh, some of that kind of feedback. And, you know, a thousand people may see your art. One person's going to say it's amazing. They have, to, they, have, they have to have it. So it's a little bit about getting over that mm -hmm. and recognizing that that's just par for the course. You and I are doing this, this video today. There are people who are watching it going, boo, we hate those two. They're awful together. You know what I mean? And, I think we're great together. Yeah, just and saying. other people are saying, oh, my God, this is the best thing since sliced bread. You have to be okay with that. That's just life, right? If I post something on Facebook, is everyone who sees it, 2,000 people seeing it, are they all going to give it a thumbs up? No. No, if there were a thumbs down, how many do you think I'd get? <laughs> Facebook doesn't offer that option. But if there were, you'd probably see a lot of people going, oh, that's awful. Don't, don't do, you know, it's like, I don't like that. And it's fine. That's just the way life is. Mm -hmm. So getting over that's number one. I think that's the first piece is to be able to say, okay, listen, uh, you know, not everyone's going to like my art. I like my art. I enjoy doing my art. I'm going to put it out there for the benefit of those who like it too. Mm -hmm. So that's where it starts. Yeah. And then if you can get to that point, then the next step becomes, okay, so where are these people? How do I find them? How do I get my art in front of enough of them? to know that I can start selling it. And one of the best things to do are local craft fairs, by the way. Mm -hmm. right? People jump online right away, but online may or may not be the right marketplace. It might be easier for you to be at a craft fair and literally speak to the person who might buy your art and get their feedback, yeah. right? Yep, it's, I totally you, agree. You learn so much when, you, when you're in person and somebody's, you know, be able to touch and feel the stuff that you've created and you could look at their reaction and how they like it and what they don't like about it or, you know, you can get some feeling for that, which you can't do online because it's so anonymous. You're putting it there and you say, wow, a thousand people saw it today. You don't know a single one of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All yeah. you know, is you got, it got viewed a thousand times. You know nothing else. There's no more information for you. 
you know, when I was young, I had a, a manual. It was a Disney produced thing with a Donald Duck. I don't remember the name anymore, but I remember one of the advice he would give to, to kids is never put all the eggs in one basket. For me, it means it's not only online. It's not only offline. You've got to find balancing several activities, even though it might take a little bit more work. But you cannot say, I'm going full, totally 100% online, because it doesn't happen that way. We need the, the human interaction, the human reach to make anything work. And I think that's where, where people kind of look at online and they say, that's the panacea, that's going to that's gonna solve all of my problems, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the truth there is that it doesn't solve all your problems. It creates more problems sometimes <laughs> than it solves. Uh, but it is, you know, it's a great uh, marketplace, a great place to be, uh, you know, but, you know, you got to start out slowly. It's a step-by-step -step process. It's not that, hey, I'm going to be, a, a, you know, an artist. I'm going to be, I'm going to make millions next year with my art. Really? Yeah. You know, it can happen. It's not realistic to expect that. Uh, it requires time. It requires effort. And it's like anything you, you and I know in the speaking community. We create a project or a course and anything that we try to sell. If we, our energy is not behind it, it stops selling. Yes. As long as our energy is behind it, it, people will buy it, will buy it. And the moment we shift and go to something else, it mm -hmm. stops. Mm -hmm. So the same thing with your art. If you have a, an art store online and you're not putting new art up there all the time, you're not answering questions, you're not involved on a regular basis... The site goes stale. It goes cold. I don't know how people know, but energetically they know, and then they stop buying. Yeah. So it's got to be something that you're going to commit to. It's a commitment to do it, and you're going to say, okay, I'm going to do the street fairs. I'm going to do the arts and crafts sales. I'm going to do the festivals. I'm going to do whatever. you know, you got to be committed to it. It takes a lot of work to do it. Mm -hmm. And then when you get online, it's the same thing. It's, it's a daily effort. Yeah, you can have your full-time job. Yeah, you can be taking care of the kids. Yeah, you can be doing other things, but make sure that you know, the online world, I have, a, I have a client who's got a website. She hasn't touched it now since 2012. It's abandoned. Yeah. It's totally abandoned. So you look at the traffic, it's at zero. You look at the interaction, it's been zero for a long time. Why? Because her energy's off it. And it doesn't take, by the way, years. Uh, you lay off your website for as little as 30 days, and it'll drop to zero as far as interaction goes. Mm -hmm. Really fast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Robert, I want to ask you a question about focus and another about bazaars. But before that, I want to read some of the comments. So remind me if I forget. But Suzanne is saying, huge hurdle for some of us. We were talking about believing in ourselves. Beverly is saying, hi, excellent. And Susie Brewer, good advice. Guys, if you have any questions for Robert, this is the time for you to type those questions. We, we are both here for you, and we want to talk about what you want to hear. So take a second if you have a question and let us know. Robert, one of the challenges for artists many times is focus. We are talking about taking care of a website, going to bazaars, and creating the art. That's one of the reasons the name of this podcast is Creativity in Focus. What are some of the things we can do to keep ourselves focused on the journey that we have chosen? Well, uh, some of the things that I do to keep myself focused on the journey is make sure that every day I've got a list of things that I need to get done, my priorities, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what happens is if this is, uh, if art for you, you want to turn it into a business, then it's got to be something you've got to have focus and attention on. Now, if you set it aside and say, well, I'll get to it, you know, I really want to just do it. I want to dabble. I want to do some on the weekend. And, you know, maybe I'll look at a website six months from now, maybe a year from now, I'll think about selling online. Uh, it's really not going to go anywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. So it really is a daily, a daily effort that we need to do. And we need to look at it every day doing, even if it's the smallest thing, like answering one email, right? Um, <clears throat> you've got to do it. You've got to make sure that you've got that momentum going. And the only way to do that is to do something on your business every single day. Now, this sounds simple, you know, but it's a commitment. And a commitment means you're going to do it on a regular basis. You're not going to do it a little bit and, and, and drop it. You've got to do it every single day. So you got to look at your day and you got to say, okay, how's my day layout? And what time of day works best for me to work on my business? You got to look at your schedule. I got to take care of the kids. I got to feed the dog. I got to, you know, drive the kids to school or karate or skating practice or, you know, whatever. And your, your day might be completely full, but there's that 15 minutes, that half hour that you've got to dig out. Mm -hmm. And I did this when I was working for the last company I worked for back in 1995. Um, I wanted to be out. I wanted to be out on my own. I, did, I didn't want to be there anymore. So I needed to carve out the time. And I decided that I could steal an hour, steal an hour mm -hmm. in the morning. 
before I had to go to work. So I got up a little earlier and I would get on the computer and I'd start working on my stuff. And then I found that if I didn't take my morning break and my afternoon break, I could combine those and they were okay with me taking an hour and a half for lunch. Well, guess what I did during lunch? Again, worked on my business. I was in the car on a cell phone. I was making phone calls. If I had to run errands, if I had to go somewhere to get something, I had an hour and a half every day uh, that I could do that Mm -hmm. after work. How much in the evening could I dedicate to the business, right? So I found another bit of time there. I found two to three hours every night that I could put into the business. 90 days later, I went into the boss's office and said, I don't want to be here anymore. And he became a client of mine, my first client, uh, when I left and, and started my consulting practice in, back in 1995. Mm-hmm. So it happens, but it's got to happen. It's got to be an effort. It's got to be something you're doing on a regular basis. And it starts to build momentum. By the time the 90 days came, I had so many other things starting to bubble that even if he didn't become my client, I was leaving anyway. Right. There were other things that, that were coming up and I was getting other projects to work on uh, from other companies. So really you look and you say, OK, how do I build my business a little at a time, but every day? And you say, well, I don't have time every day. Right. What's that? Consistency in what you're doing every Consistency, day. Right. Consistency creates momentum and momentum is the key to your success in, in any business. Oh, so we have you to get... repeat that so they can yeah. write that down. OK. <laughs> So the key to success is momentum, and momentum happens by doing something every single day on your business. And by the way, Saturdays and Sundays are included. We don't have holidays as business owners. I I hate to break it to you. you (laughs) Christmas and New Year's, no excuse. You're going to be working on your business. It just just is. Um, You know, I I know, Shahar, for you and I, we we understand this this lifestyle because we've lived it for so long. Uh, You know, you could go for a walk in, in nature. And you've got your cameras and you're, you're taking uh, nature photos. But in the back of your mind, you're always thinking about Curious Mondo. Yep. You're always thinking about the business. So for us, in some ways, we never shut it off, right? It doesn't matter what I'm doing. I could be lying on the beach. Mm-hmm. And where's my mind thinking about the next podcast or thinking about, you know, it's like it just is. Yep. And I'm not saying you want to get to that point about it. We're entrepreneurs, so we're a little bit different. But if, you're, if you want to build a business, you've got to be thinking about it as much as you can and giving it as much attention as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go, for example, or walk in nature with some friends, the moment you open your mouth and you say, you know what would work? Their eyes will roll because they know you're going to talk about it. That's right. <laughs> but I think in, 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 what, what really means is that you don't see work as work, period. Uh, you're feeding your passion. And in order to be successful in that passion, you have to have actions. Now, some people think that because they have to do those actions over and over, that is called work. For me, it's really, I love to do that. It comes a holiday, I'm thinking, okay, move on, move on, move on. <laughs> Got things to do next year. These holidays interrupt the flow. Yeah, they do. Well, hey. you, go back, you go back to the artist, right, Shahar? Mm-hmm. If the artist is doing the art, why? Because they're passionate about it, because they love it. So the only challenge for them is to say, okay, I'm doing the art side, but now I've got to do the business side, and that's a different part of the brain. Mm-hmm. And they may not like this side because it's more formatted than the art, which is sort of like freestyle, right? Yeah. Yeah. You get on the other side of it, and now we're a little bit more formatted, we're a little bit more logical, there are logical steps, there are systems in place, and that can get boring for an artist. So that's one of the challenges that, that they end up facing. Mm-hmm. And that's why something like Etsy is really nice, because a lot of the technical stuff, they kind of handle it for you. Uh, but an Etsy store doesn't work unless you do. Yeah. You just can't put stuff up there and walk away from it and expect that they're going to bring you the customers. Not going to happen that way. Mm-hmm. True. Robert, we have quite a few questions here. Are you ready? I love questions. Okay. Deborah Lucas is asking, do you think anything can sell? Anything? Anything. Anything. Can you sell ice cubes to an Eskimo? Yeah. (laughs) You know, can you sell a rock and call it a pet rock? Yeah, I think you could sell pretty much anything. Mm -hmm. Um, It really is. And this is the biggest piece of selling is really it's the story you wrap around the item. Yeah. Right. And, and a lot a of people very go, well, key here's point, my, right? here's my thing, telling. I've got my thing, go buy my thing. Well, what's your thing? Mm-hmm. If you don't tell me the story, don't tell me what it's about, then it has no value. It's just a thing. It's just a rock until somebody put it in a box and called it a pet rock. Mm-hmm. Gave it a birth certificate, gave it a, you know, put a story around it. And all of a sudden people, I have to have my pet rock. And he sold millions of dollars of it. Brilliant idea, right? Yeah. So, yes, I believe anything can sell um, if it is positioned correctly and there's the, the correct story around it. 
Did you have a pet rock? Yeah, I probably had a pet rock back oh. in the 70s. I knew I have. <laughs> I was crazy. My, I taught my pet rock so many tricks. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> Beverly is, is saying, in my studio, I do teaching and I sell my art. Do you recommend two Facebook pages that deal with separate, or is it possible to combine effectively? Better to have two separate pages. And I'll tell you why. It's because the, the audience is different. Mm -hmm. The audience for the teaching are artists. The audience for the buying may, may or may not be artists. Right? Very good point. Uh, I'm a business owner, but I buy art. Why do I buy art? Because I like to have art around me, right? But I don't create any. Well, other than graphic arts and, yeah. and video and stuff like that, but I don't do any kind of other art. I, you know, I've been with the gourd farm now since I said since September of 2000. Never once have I done a gourd. Mm -hmm. Never picked a gourd up. It just, just doesn't call to me that, that side of it. So I would be a different audience, and I wouldn't be interested in, in the training. So, yes, absolutely split those up. You know, Facebook pages are free. Why not have two? Yeah. yeah. Some of us have several, right, Robert? Uh, yeah, we have quite a few, yes. <laughs> Uh, Susie's saying, yes, very passionate. That's true. The business part can get boring. These are great points. Deborah is asking, how do you price se selling uh, crafts? Don't, let me adjust my glasses here. <laughs> Don't want to overprice. Also want to sell myself short. So how, what do I do? Always, always price higher than you think it's worth. Right, because a lot of artists will look and and this is a problem uh, for all business owners, not just artists. By the way, pricing's always been a challenge, and what we look at is we look at how much can I afford, mm -hmm. and how we come up with that decision is we think about what's in our bank account or how much space we have on our credit card, right? Yeah. But you don't represent your market at all in any way, shape, or form, so it's the worst place to look. So you want to look out out there and you want to see some of the better selling stuff, some of the higher price stuff. What does it sell for? And then you got to ask yourself, look in the mirror and say, am I comfortable asking this amount of money? It always becomes a self-esteem thing. It's like a lot, that's why a lot of people sell their art really cheap because they don't think it's valued at anything because they don't value themselves, mm -hmm. right? So because the art is a part of me, if I'm selling a part of me, what, what am I valued at? And if you value it really low, I can tell where your self-esteem is at, right? Versus, you know, your, your price is a little bit higher. So I always say, Price it much higher than uh, you would normally think it's worth. So if you say, I, I want to sell this for $25, put it at 75 put it at $150. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't sell, there's no harm at all in lowering the price. No harm at all. It's very difficult to raise the price on something when somebody says, well, last week this was $25. How come it's $50? Mm -hmm. right? You're going you're gonna to take flack for that. But if it was $150 last week and it's $75 this week, Oh, okay. You know, now I'm interested. You're never going to get uh, harmed for that. So always start high. And then, you know, if things don't sell, then you can adjust your price accordingly. You know, you said something that I, I really think we should highlight is, are you comfortable asking for that price? I have to tell you, uh, some years ago, I had a consulting client that was a life coach. And she mm. had several speaking engagements. And she would go and do a very good job. But she wouldn't sell whatever she was trying to sell at the end. And we talked in the office several times, and I couldn't figure what was wrong because we had a script and everything in her case. Well, I went to see one of her presentations, and she did an amazing job. Comes at the very end when she starts doing the call to action, her voice starts shaking. You could see the voice breaking. Yep. And of course, it didn't sell. So the problem is she was not confident selling herself. It was not even a price issue, but she was not confident asking for people to get something from her. It's always easier for us to sell somebody else's stuff than to sell our own stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we have always known that in marketing. It's like for any business owner, you know, if you're selling yourself and you're selling your own stuff, it's really difficult. But I can sell anybody else's stuff, you know, all day long without any problems whatsoever because it's a reflection of us and it's a self-esteem issue. Mm -hmm. So you've always got to go back and work on your personal stuff. So how do you become successful? How do you become, well, you got to do the personal development stuff, but I don't want to do it. You got to do the personal development stuff because we've got all these childhood uh, stuff that we got to deal with and we got to get over. You know, we didn't get 
the appreciation. We didn't get the pat on the back when we needed it. We didn't get the approval when we wanted it, you know? And it's like, we all have this. It's not just me, you. It's like, it's everybody's got it. Mm -hmm. And those who are more successful work on that that part of the, the game, you know? I look at some of the, the artists who sell the gourd art, and we used to have festivals where we used to have, you know, 70, 80 uh, gourd artists come in. And you would see the ones who were the most confident you'd go to their booth at the end of the festival and they had nothing left, just shelves. You know? <laughs> it was like, you know, Sunday at one, one o'clock, they're gone, they're empty. And they're just like, yeah, I'm ready to pack up now and leave because I've got nothing more to offer. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and you'd see the other people with, who were a little bit more mousy about it and they wouldn't sell anything. And they would say, oh, well, the festival was horrible. And the same customers were going through all the booths. They didn't buy yours, but they bought the other person's. Why? Yeah. You know? <clears throat> Yeah, that's crucial. Yeah. Susie is asking, I have a Facebook page with 4,000 followers. I've been so quiet on there for some weeks due to a very sick father and commitment to care for him. I've been tired. I hope I can pull the audience back. I'm a bit concerned now. It's been hard to keep that momentum. Any tips on that? It is, and, and use some of the tools that are out there to schedule your posts. So let's say you have an hour on Sunday where you have no commitments, no obligations. You could schedule a post every day during the week and just schedule it to go. And, and Facebook allows you to do that. Business.facebook.com is where you want to go. And you could set up your posts in there for your page, and uh, you can schedule them. There's an option there to schedule a post. And I like to have my posts come out early in the morning, so West Coast, 7 a.m. West Coast time, which is about 10 a.m. East Coast time. And, you know, people want to see the first thing in the morning. So I would just do that when you have the time. Just schedule a bunch of posts ahead of time. Knowing that your week's a little chaotic, I get it. You know, mine is too, and sometimes I'll do that. Not always, but, you know, when I get a chance to do it, I'll do it ahead of time. Uh, because, you know, life is unpredictable sometimes, and, and life does get in the way, as I like to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very often. <laughs> Very often, yes. right? But do you think uh, if you haven't t uh, taken care of a Facebook page for a while, can you revive it? You can. Okay. You can. Yeah, you can. It just takes yeah, one work. of the better things to do, and, and I know I don't like doing this, but it's one of the things that you do is you, you share content that has gone kind of viral. Mm -hmm. So you go find videos with 2 million, 5 million views, and you take that and you share it to your page. And if you do that for 10 days, not that you want that content on there so much, but if you do it for 10 days, it'll start to get shared more and more because Facebook is looking to keep engagement high, right? So if you haven't been sharing anything on your page, on the algorithm, you go way down in importance. So what you've got to do is share things that you know a lot of people are liking, a lot of people are, are watching, and that'll start to re-engage. And Facebook, the algorithm will start to see, oh, look, she's, you know, on this page, there's a lot of stuff going on that a lot of people are looking at. So now you raise, that, you raise your, your stature in the, in the algorithm. Mm -hmm. And then when you do start sharing your regular content, more of your people, more of your audience is going to see it. Facebook is not punishing. I, I, people look at this and say, well, Facebook punishes me because, uh, you know, they're not showing my stuff to the, the 4,000 people that are following me. I think on the Gord Farm, we're at 13,000 now. And you look at that, it's like, how many people are seeing it? 500, you know, 1,000 people are seeing it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, why not everybody? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Number one is their Facebook has a lot of stuff from a lot of people, and you're only going to spend so much time on Facebook every day, Right. So if I would see everything from all the pages I would follow, I'd probably have to spend four hours a day on Facebook yeah. to, to see it all. So Facebook prioritizes it, and there's an algorithm that does it, a computer uh, that does it, and, and decides it'll just going to show you the most popular stuff. So when you share something to your page, here's what happens. In the first 10 minutes, if you don't get any likes or any comments, it goes to zero. It's, uh, Facebook stops sharing it. If you get likes and you get comments in the first 10 minutes, then it's going to share it to another 10% of the people who follow you. If it continues to go, then it'll keep expanding and expanding and expanding. It'll get more and more uh, interaction. So Facebook's looking for interaction because they want to keep users engaged, right? If your Facebook feed was boring to you, how long are you going to spend each day on Facebook? Mm -hmm. Not very long, away. right? Mm -hmm. So the more interaction you can get on a Facebook post, you know, this is why a lot of people say, hey, if you like this post, please click the like button. Remind people to do that because when they do that, more people are going to start to see it. Like you said at the beginning of this, if you like this podcast, share this podcast or this broadcast with people. Why? Because then more people are going to see it. Yes. Right. And everything that may sound silly 
the first time you see, like giving the hearts on a video like this, uh, how crucial is that? Because it's showing Facebook that there is engagement with what you're doing. And you know, how long does it take us for give a like or a, a heart on something? It's, it's not that big of a deal, but it can impact the life of many people when you're thinking, okay, this person is trying to promote something, why not? Yeah, absolutely. I, I I do that. I go through and I just I just start clicking like and all you know my friends are posting stuff and I'll just click like on it, like on it. It's not a personal reflection so much on me, but you got to remember too that your Facebook newsfeed will be curated based on the kinds of things that you like. Mm -hmm. So if you like things that from the other political party, you know, if you start liking stuff there, uh, you're going to start to see more of that stuff. So you may want to be a little bit aware of that too. Uh, so be a little judicious about it, but certainly uh, be generous with your likes. You know, what you focus on grows, and that includes what you like on Facebook. Exactly, yes, <laughs> right. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, the only person I cannot convince that is a matter of how many people I have and how many groups I, I belong to that shows on my feed is my mom, because she gets mad if I didn't see whatever she posted. <laughs> and I say, it's kind of hard. I'm not the one choosing. That's right. You're shows. not. <clears throat> You're not okay. A lot of people will post things and they'll, they'll call me up and they'll say, did you see my posts? And I go, no, I didn't. It's like, well, how long did you spend on Facebook? Well, I didn't spend four hours on Facebook. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I saw a lot of posts, but I didn't see everything because yeah. you can't see everything. There's just too much stuff coming at you. So Facebook tries and, and, you know, sometimes it doesn't do it well, but it does it as good as I guess they can at this point to show you the most relevant stuff. And that's all they try to do. Mm -hmm. Now, one more thing about the Facebook pages and how to revive them. I think we have to touch on the live videos again, right? Because that's a crucial strategy for Facebook. And you and I, we use that all the time. So should everybody be doing live on Facebook? Everybody, no. <laughs> no. Some people are better off in radio than television, right? <laughs> There's a reason for that. <clears throat> so uh, a lot of people like to do live. And there's no harm in doing it uh, if you are a person who can speak. But you'll find that artists tend to be kinesthetic. Now, kinesthetic people are feelings people, right? Feelings people mean they have to feel the emotion before it comes up and comes out as words. You and I are auditory, visual. We have to hear. We're, we're very visual. We think outside the box. We think, we think as we speak, right? Yeah. And those are the best kind of people to do uh, live broadcasting because sometimes you need to be able to think on your feet. I don't have any notes today. I'm not looking. I'm not reading notes. My, my paper is blank. Yeah, you're pretending <laughs> to read questions that you don't even have, and I'm giving you answers <laughs> that I haven't prepared ahead of time because that's the kind of people that we are, right? We can do this, and it's not for everybody. Some people will get on camera, and they'll be like, um, hello, and, and no, no, live, live webcasting, not for you. This is not something you should be doing. And there's no harm in that. It's not like we're making fun of you and like, oh, you're not a webcaster. You can't do, you know, Facebook Live. It isn't for everybody. And, you know, we, as marketers, we kind of get carried away because for us, it's like, well, it's a panacea for us. So it must be good for everyone. Yeah. No, 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 no. Come back to Earth, get grounded again. It's not for everybody. Uh, uh, there are things that are for everybody. If you're a, a kinesthetic person, writing is probably much better for you than live webcasting, right? A lot less stressful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> make a mistake, you can back up, you can delete, you can rewrite it, you make it work, uh, you know, but it's not for everyone. So I would say, you know, look at your own personality and choose the media that works best for you. If you're better with a still photo or, you know, if you don't want to be on camera, but you want to do a live stream, you know, how about a live stream of your art and showing your art, you know, where you don't have to necessarily be on that camera. It's another way of using it. Yeah, true. Yeah. And if you like, you know, pictures, you can still do a very good blog and have a amazing traffic coming to that. So many people still do. People think the blogs are old fashioned thing, but, you know. I go to blogs every day, and I see that some people thrive really well with those. Blogs are not old-fashioned. They're, they're still very viable. Uh, and, you know, when you combine the blog with Facebook, you know, you go out, but basically it's, it's like fishing. You're putting bait out on Facebook, and you're saying, you want to read the rest of the article? Yeah. Click this link, come back to my blog. And you go to Facebook because that's where everybody is, not because you really necessarily love it and want to be there, but that's where everybody is. So you go there, you throw your bait in, and people go, oh, I like that, and they'll nibble on it, and they'll come back to your blog. So that's, that's the way you would use that. The blog just offers you a lot more flexibility, right? Mm -hmm. Facebook has got its rules and what you can post and what you can't post and how many people are going to see it. 
a blog, there's no such rules. It's you and what you decide to do, you know? Yeah, true. <clears throat> Let's go a little bit to trade shows. Uh, you and I, I mean, if we combine together, we have been to thousands of trade shows, bazaars, craft shows. Tell me the most hideous things you see people doing when they are tra trying to sell this stuff in a, in a bazaar, craft show, or even a trade show. Oh, the, the, the pet peeve of mine mm -hmm. when I go to a craft show is to see art and see no pricing on it. Mm -hmm. Right? You're trying to sell it? Well, you got to give me the whole story, right? The story is, here's the piece. Here's what it's made of. Tell me a little bit about it. Give it a name. And give me a price. How much do you want for it? <laughs> so, so I know. Mm -hmm. Because art, there is no standard pricing guide. You know, it's not like Kelly Blue Book and you can go find out how much your car is worth, right? There's no such thing for art because every piece is unique. So you've got to tell me because I can't tell you. And if you don't have a price on it, you don't want to sell it. Yeah, you, you think about it. You go to the supermarket and you want to buy, you know, there's a can of soup on the, on the wall. You really want to buy it, and, and, but there's no price on it. How much is it? Well, it could be 39 cents or it could be $5. There's a range, but you don't know where, where it falls in there. So what are the odds that you're actually going to purchase it? Mm -hmm. They're very low. Because you don't know how much, you know, you don't want to wait to get to the cash register and they scan it and then they give you the price. Oh, that's $10 for that can of soup. Yeah, I think I'm going to wait on that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's the same thing. And, and, you know, trade shows you really or, or festivals, you really have to be prepared. Uh, and, you know, you have to make sure that the way you take payments works. You've got to make sure they have a way to wrap it up so that person, you know, understand that the person who's buying it at a craft show or something like that is probably going to be walking around for quite a while with it before they get to the car, right? So you've got to pack it up in a way that, you know, it's going to protect it from getting knocked around because uh, some people don't do that. They're just like, here's the art. Goodbye. What do I do with this? You know, yeah. The car is a mile up that way. I'm not going to the car now. And and they may they might decide not to buy it simply because uh, you know the the system's not in place. So you know you're thinking like a business owner now, and you got to think through the process. Okay, what's the sales process? Um, how are we going to present it? What's it going to look like? How are we going to set it up? How is it going to look? How is it going to be lit? If it's going to be lit, how am I going to protect it from the elements if it's outside? Right? Because there might be wind, there might be whatever. You don't want the wind blowing stuff off the table and damaging it. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to protect yourself? Right? And then the flow is, okay, when the person says they want to buy it, what's the process? How do we take payment? Are we taking cash? Are we taking credit cards? Do we have a way to process the credit cards? And then once they pay for it, how are we going to deliver it to them? Mm -hmm. And are we going to give them, you know, a business card or a flyer or we're going to insert of some sort to let them know that we've got more, come back to our website, sign up for our email list, join our Facebook page, right? So you got to think through all the different steps that are involved. And I see a lot of people just don't do that. They just kind of show up and they think, you know, well, I hope it all, hope it all works out. And they do themselves a disservice because when you're at a, a festival or a fair, there's only a limited amount of sales time, right? There's only, a, you know, usually it's the first day where it's going to be the busiest and then the traffic's going to trail off. Unfortunately, that's what a lot of them kind of figure out their systems. Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock, they finally figured out how they're going to sell this stuff and you know, there's nobody left. So you got to figure it out ahead of time because uh, the way festivals tend to work is when they first open, that's when you get the, the biggest rush of traffic and you kind of got to be ready for that. Mm -hmm. So preparation. Preparation is always key. Okay. Susie's saying, I'm in Australia, and I'm so glad I caught this today. Thanks, Guy. It's been very helpful. Thank you very much, Susie, for being here. Robert, for me, during a, tra a trade show or a craft show, not having business cards is a huge issue. And it looks like it's a trend now. You go, I was at the other day at a local arts fair, and they had at least a couple hundred different vendors there. And... I don't know, more than half of them didn't have business cards. So I finally asked a guy, do you have a business card? And the guy said, no, nobody uses the, that anymore. You can go to my website. And I was thinking, first, I don't know your website. Second, how am I going to remember if I'm going through 200 different vendors? It's, it's, I, I think it gets very complicated because sometimes you need to talk to a partner, you need to talk to a husband, uh, you need to think about purchasing something of a higher value. It doesn't mean you're not going to, to buy after that event, but I don't have a way to get in touch again. 
because they're not uh, seasoned business professionals, right? These are these are crafters, artists that come in and they they do this, you know, three four times a year, and they don't have their systems worked out. Um, it's very true. Fewer and fewer people are using business cards. That's a reality. But I would suggest you have something, something a format like this. This is a nice format, right? And what you could do is hand this out. You can have a photo of your art on here, photo of the artist. You can have all your contact information. It doesn't have to be a business card. It can be something much more uh, probably in line with what you're trying to accomplish. So business card's great. It's too small for an artist. Typically you can't put photos of your art on there, but these don't cost a lot more. These, uh, I guess it's uh, five and a half, eight and a half uh, mm-hmm. postcards. They're jumbo size postcards, what they're called. And you can get those printed for just a little bit more than it costs to do a business card. And you can have much more information, right? And it's really good to have your, your photo on there. So they remember the artist and some photos of your art on there so they remember what it is and then they can take that with them and you know there's room on there if you want to write a note to them or something they could write notes on the back of it mm-hmm. so i like that better than just a standard business card in this community mm-hmm. because you want you know it's it's a it's a visual uh, medium for the most yes. part and and you just can't do it with a text business card mm-hmm. but as long as you have something to that you can give you've people to take you've got it that'll be yeah. fine yeah, yeah. I had one more question and it escaped me. It's not on your paper, huh? <laughs> no, not on my paper. <laughs> and I told you we didn't need to prep to go for an hour, right? That's right. <laughs> well, one thing um, that I want you to touch on. The, the thing that some people have of judging their audience. So, for example, uh, they are on a bazaar and maybe they are just doing two or three a year. So they have prep a lot to be there. And when you go by, they are reading a book. They are looking at the newspaper, just saying, you don't matter to me or you cannot afford me or something. Right. Do we have that tendency to judge our audience? Ways, right. And I advise uh, a lot of the artists when they're at these shows to not necessarily hide at the back of their booth, which a lot of them will do. I prefer that they come out and meet people. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because they're not necessarily a people person, right? They're kinesthetic. They, they like to be quiet. They don't like all the, all the noise and all the attention and everything. So if you come outside of the booth and you let the art do the talking, then you could just meet people after they've seen the art, answer their questions, do whatever. But sure, if you're sitting there reading a newspaper, Wow, I guess no one's coming to your booth, huh? Mm-hmm. Must be very slow for you. Nobody wants your art. How you get business? I, I learned this as a kid when I was doing a garage sale. I probably was 12 years old. And we were sitting there all day and it was quiet. And as soon as my dad came down and my friend's father came and they pretended they were looking at stuff, cars would stop and more people would come. They would go away. No one would show up because they would just look at a bunch of kids there. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we just kept calling them, hey, dad, come on down, come on down, daddy would come down. And sure enough, more cars would stop, more people would show up. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, that's the trick, right? So if you're sitting there reading the newspaper, reading your book, playing a video game, a lot of people will do that now. And, and uh, you're not paying any attention. Mm-hmm. Nobody, wants, nobody likes your art. I don't want to be the first. I never yeah. want to be the first. I want to go where the people are. I want to go where the crowds are. Mm-hmm. So encourage them to come into the booth, stand outside the booth, invite them in, invite them in, come have a look around, make yourself comfortable. I've got cookies at the back for you, you know, whatever it is you want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, give them a reason to come in the booth because you want to attract traffic and that's what you've got to do. I've done this uh, for many different industries. I've done it in the chiropractic industry. I've done it in the dental industry uh, where, you know, none of us were in the booth. We're all in the walkway, in the hallway, literally. Mm-hmm. People are walking by, you'd stop them, talk to them, and then direct them into the booth. And that works always the best. Mm-hmm. So having the table there and you behind it, not a good idea. Not a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Robert, uh, tell me any final advice or strategy that you would like to give to artists today? Yeah, you know, the, 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 the advice I give uh, to everyone is just get started. Um, a lot of people will overthink and overthink and overthink and wonder what will happen, wonder what will happen. Uh, you don't know, learn how to swim by reading a book. You know, it's, it's only until someone pushes you into the water that you say, oh, that's what this is like, right? And really, that's the same for businesses is you can sit on the sidelines and pontificate about it all you want and think about it and, and strategize and analyze, and, but you really don't know. And, and the most successful business owners jump in feet first, and uh, they figure it out as they go along. 
Uh, you're not going to get it right. You're going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Shahar, you know oh, you yeah. make mistakes every day, right? Then uh -huh. we get better because we learn from our mistakes. And, and the more that we learn from the mistakes, the easier it becomes for us to move forward and, and uh, correct those mistakes and then uh, do better the next time. So if you're sitting on the sidelines, now is a good time to get out there and not be sitting on the sidelines. Make that your resolution for 2018, that you're going to start taking action. And then get in the habit of taking some form of action, even if it's tiny. Just take some form of action every day so that you build that momentum. And that momentum is your key to getting, uh, building a successful business. That's fantastic. Yeah. Robert, I know you're a huge content provider and you create things all the time. If people want to know more about you, where should they go? They can go to my namesake website, robertimbriali.com. I'm also on Facebook and on Twitter, and it's all at Robert Imbriali, and uh, you can follow me there. And, uh, you know, any questions you have from this or from any other, just, you know, post it here, and Shahar will send them my way, I'm sure, and I will certainly see them as well. I'll be happy to answer them for you, and if there's anything I can do to help you, reach out. It's the best thing you can do. Don't be shy about asking questions. You never know what answer you're going to get. Exactly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> And I, and I can assure you all that Robert is a wonderful person. He's always willing to help. Oh, he so actually sweet. took us out of some pickles here <laughs> several times. So thank you so much for being here. It was really a pleasure talking to you. And I hope you all guys have enjoyed as well. So I hope to see you again here next week. We are going to have April Jensen. She's an art doll artist, and she's going to be talking about the business of art dolls and showing some of her creations. So be sure to be here next Tuesday, 2.30, right at the Curious Mondo Facebook page. Thank you again, Robert. <laughs> Thank you. And I see you guys next week.